Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Code 321 podcast. I have a very special guest with me here today. I have our co-host, Frank Rice. Hello, Frank. Hey, Nick. How are you? Welcome back to the show after your long uh, hiatus. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been... uh been quite the uh, sabbatical I'm on here. Sorry for that. That's okay. That's all right. We had a lot of students that were asking about you. They were waiting for you to come back on the show. You're very popular with the listeners. That's exciting. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Nice to have you on the show. This is your first time uh, in the fancy studio, right? This is the first time in the studio. And you can confirm this is not Steve Pettit's basement. This is not Steve Pettit's basement. This is a nice... Well put together studio. Oh, perfect. We must have a good logistics manager. Yeah. Must be pretty good. I, I try to try to make sure everything's logistically okay. That's perfect. That's perfect. All right, awesome. Anyway, so let's get into the show. So, gentlemen, today I figure we do just a short little brief episode. We've done some medical content in the past, um, and that stuff can obviously be very helpful when we're talking about education, but we want to do some fun episodes too. So today we're just going to talk a little bit about why we pursued EMS, why we got through paramedic school and kind of where we're looking to go. So Frank, you want to start and just talk a little bit about how did you get from the goofy young buck that you were all the way up through paramedic school? Yeah, I, uh, it started actually at a pretty young age. When I was 12, I joined uh, the Civil Air Patrol, which is like a uh, military program for youths that's run by the Air Force. And I, at the time, was interested in the military and like aviation and stuff, uh, which is why I had joined it. But one of their programs was search and rescue. So that kind of set me onto that path through that. You, you, you know, you met, you met people from different kind of emergency services and stuff. And from there I progressed into, you know, I was doing the search and rescue stuff. And then I got involved with ski patrol. Um, I was, a, I joined as a junior ski patroller and that was kind of my first EM that what I would consider to be like an EMS type role because they do, you know, medical care there. Um, and then when I was in high school, just continuing with the the interest, I joined the volunteer fire department, enjoyed that. And I wanted to, I guess at this point, we're going to shine some light too on why we named uh, the podcast Code 321, because I will just admit uh, my real motivation for the paramedic school wasn't that I didn't, you know, I was passionate about the EMS, but I as we all know, it's a good way to get into the fire service. So that was coming out of high school. Eyes were set on the fire service, and I knew that that was a big move to to help get a job. So I did that. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of places in the country now that they're really looking for kind of that EMT, which is going to be on the fire engine. Um, and anytime you get out of New England, they're probably going to be looking more towards paramedic in these day and age. Yeah, well, where I grew up was right down near New York City. And in New York in general, you know, it's all civil service-based uh, testing. And a lot of it, you know, you get benefits for, for residency and different things. It was very difficult, but I knew that everywhere else – a lot, you know, and it's continuing to trend that way that a lot of these fire departments now are, are doing more EMS. So they want you to have at a minimum your EMT. So I knew that if I just kept progressing there, it'd be a good way to, to try to start to apply for more, more jobs. And then I got, I got my job in Colorado and, uh, been going from there. I feel like every time we talk about your EMS career, we almost, hear about like a different job you did <laughs> and kind of the joke with you is that you you what do you always say like you stay long enough to get the t-shirt then you move on something else. I never said that oh. <laughs> so anyway you you did like the you did the mountain bike thing right 
Yeah, well, that was all through Ski Patrol. I started, I was, like I said, I, I joined this, I went, I was in search and rescue and I went to this search and rescue class down in New Jersey that was hosted by the Ski Patrol there. And I was like, oh, this seems pretty cool. It's like search and rescue, but more exciting because search and rescue, especially where I was from, it was usually like, you know, you were, you were finding, you know, dead people and stuff like that. It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of action or um, frequency and Ski Patrol was kind of like, oh, it's like like search and rescue but more a little more exciting i was like i should look into this it interested me so i wanted to do it but i didn't know how to ski so i uh they gave the the people get hooked me up with like some free lessons and stuff and i went down i learned how to ski and then i on my think i was 15 or something it was on my birthday i could officially join as a junior and then that actually turned into doing that when i was when I finally turned like 17 or 18, that turned into like my kind of my high school job. I became a summertime, uh, mountain bike, uh, rescue EMT for the, for the resort there. And, uh, and then I started doing it in the winter too. So that was kind of how I got into that it was all through there. And, um, and then just started to do the, the volunteer stuff at home, you know? So what was the, you did tactical medicine too, right? Or something I did, like briefly, that. What briefly. Was that? I wouldn't, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't, uh, you know, blow it up too much. I was a, yeah, in Colorado, we did have a program with the local police where we, uh, got trained and, um, we were trained in like, we got, we did like all the police firearm training, which was kind of interesting. Um, we, we all, you know, you had to qualify with your weapon and, and shoot the, target you got like you had to hit it 21 times or whatever and then we that was like a week training and then we did a training on like how to not to arrest someone but how to like put someone into custody if we had to just you know in the middle of an incident and uh it was it was fun you know the training was fun but it was a pretty quiet you know it's pretty rural colorado so we didn't do anything too wild but one of the first like missions that i went on we were all we meet at like five o'clock in the morning, we go to the police department. Everybody's like all tacticaled out head to toe. They got all this gear on. They've got like the, it's like right out of a movie. They've got like the satellite image of the house and all this information and this tactical planning is going on. Like, okay, we're going to set up, you know, we're going to have an overwatch guy over here. And if he, if he takes off, we got, you know, we're going to have this road covered and blah, blah. And we make, we lay out, we're laying out this elaborate plan. And I lean over to one of the police officers who I knew in the room. And I, I was like, what, what did this guy do? And he got, he like looks back and he goes, credit card fraud. And I was like, geez, I didn't realize that, that we were going to, you know, do a full on assault over this yeah. thing. So anyway, so we go through this whole like plan for it. And, uh, and then we show up, the guy wasn't even home. So they're like, all right, guy's not home, but, uh, he's a roofer. He's right up the road working on a roof job. So now we just threw out this like whole two hour plan, just threw that right out the window drove up to the roof job and they, uh, they arrested that guy. But yeah, we did, I didn't do anything to, uh, you know, Hollywood, but I did get to dabble in that for a little bit. Man. So you did your ski patrol stuff. You did mountain bike stuff. You did search and rescue. You've done tactical medicine, firebase DMS, and then you did ride time and work down in New York city. Yeah. Yeah. All my paramedic school was in Westchester County, New York city, New York Metro area. So that was, that was as a 19 year old kid, that was a kind of an eye opening experience for sure. Um, so did all that. And, and then, you know, Colorado was just the opposite. It was out in the mountains, but it was cool. Cause I, the, like the search and rescue out there was, was definitely pretty fun. You, you know, got flown around in helicopters and we got to do, you know, some more serious missions. There was, a, you know, avalanche 
injuries, stuff like that, ski, you know, ski based, um, backcountry rescue. And, um, you know, you, you'd be out there for six, seven, eight hours with somebody. So that was, that was a cool experience, but very different from my New York stuff. Yeah, that is super, super different. And what brought you over to Vermont? Uh, well, I wanted to come back to the East, the East Coast Fire Service. I, 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 uh, to all my buddies out west, I love you guys. I, you know, love loved working out there. It's just a, it's different, as everybody knows. The East Coast and West Coast, the culture is just different. And I, you know, I grew up in the East with the East Coast kind of uh, culture of the fire service. Um, I was also, you know, get closer to family and some other things. So started putting back my interest back in here. I love new England. So I got, I landed the job in Burlington and came right back. So you're more like a biggie than a Tupac then. Yeah. Yep. That's That's right. All right. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you're (laughs) kind of from this area, right? You're from Burlington, uh, born and raised, born and raised. And what section? Uh, new North end, new North end. New New North North end. end. Yeah. 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 And that's great. So, um, how did you get into EMS? Cause I know people have met you through the courses, but how did you actually get where you are? How did you end up being uh, one of the hardest hitting paramedics that BFD has to offer? I don't know if you could say that about me, but, uh, so I actually didn't, uh, didn't get into this job right off. I actually went to school originally for, uh, teaching. I was going to be a elementary school teacher. Um, but uh, back in, my grandfather actually was on the job uh, for 30 years in Burlington. So I, I guess the passion was always there, but the knowledge really wasn't. Uh, so met a girl in high school, started dating. After the, about two years of high school, we, I, you know, met her father or whatever. And he did the volunteer thing out here in uh, Essex, Essex town. And uh Joined on with them, and I guess the rest was history. Through classes while I was going to school, trying to do both, I guess, and uh, decided that maybe I could do this thing for a career. And took me a took me a while. It took me three interview processes to get onto Burlington, but uh, yeah, like I said, the rest is history. Now it's going on almost eight years now in Burlington, so. It's nice to be kind of a hometown boy. I didn't go very far. I didn't I didn't venture out as much as, you know, Frank over here did with the uh, 17 different jobs before he could figure out one, but yeah. Hey, there's something to be said about that. I there are, you know, there's something to be said about being kind of born and raised and working in that in you know, in that city that you're from. From like I would have I definitely would have liked that. I did have the like for me, I got to be a paramedic in the town that I was from, but it was such a small town. There was no other paid services, but there is a part of me that, you know, when I, the brief time that I did work as a medic in my own kind of home stomping grounds, it, there's a, there's something special about that. You know, I would, I would definitely agree. I, you know, I've, I definitely get, I don't know if it's more of a passion or more of a satisfaction with it, but you know, I think also with the good of working in your own city, you kind of get the bad as well. Cause it's a small town, no matter you know, no matter what we say, it's a small town. You know, people, you go to people that you see, all, you know, that you grew up with or families that you grew up around. So it's, you know, brings a different aspect to, to the day-to-day work. Yeah, I think one of the differences that Mike and I have, uh, kind of contrary to you, Frank, is Mike and I started out as an EMT. And then I think you and I both kind of 
pretty quickly took our A and we stayed as an A for a while. Like probably, I think I was an A for probably five or six years before I even started thinking about paramedic yeah. school. Yeah. And I, about the same, same path. Yeah. And we actually both worked on Wilson too. We're kind of a little bit similar. And then Frank, you, you kind of went right through EMT into paramedic for the most <clears throat> part, right? Yeah. I mean, I was only an EMT for maybe a year or two. And then, uh, and it's fun, like, we just had one of our guys who's on and doing his medic time right now who, you know, as you guys know, you have like certain skills you got to do. And one of them is the IVs. So he's got to get so many IVs and he's, he's just, you know, when we get a patient that needs one, he gets it done where, and I was just thinking kind of to myself, he, same thing. He's been an AEMT for a while. He, he knows how to start IVs and stuff. I was learning all that in medic school. I, you know, I, my first IV was as a medic student. I, I, we didn't, the system I was in didn't really use A's. Um, so I didn't even really know that it was much of an option for me, but it was, yeah, definitely a little different to kind of jump in. And I made some, it was a big learning curve. I made some stupid mistakes. I'll st- I still remember one time down in, uh, down in New York city, I was on a ride time and we had a respiratory uh, failure patient and most of my EMT experience wasn't on an ambulance either. It was doing the ski patrol and the search and rescue stuff. So the, uh, the guys who were precepting me, they said, Hey, run, we were on like the fifth or sixth floor of this apartment building. Like run down to the truck. We need the suction, the portable suction. Okay. I don't know what that is. I don't know where this is on the truck. Like I'm brand new. I ran down there and, uh, I ripped the suction canister right out of the onboard suction and the tubing. I ran that up there to him. I figured I was like, okay, here you go. They were like, no, this is not what we (laughs) needed. So it was a big learning curve for sure. That is, that is tough. And I think we see more and more frequently uh, in this area, people going from EMT right into medic, you know, that's a like zero to hero program you hear about. Um, There's not very many of them that go through AEMT anymore. Um, And I think you can tell with stuff like that, airway stuff that we talked about and with the IVs you can kind of see a little bit of that difference and there's plenty of people who went straight from EMT to paramedic I mean you did a great job you're a great solid medic and there's plenty of people who work well that way and there's other people that um, they may need a little bit of that intermediary program and so it's good to know kind of where you're at at least for me where I was at in my career and I can't speak for Michael Um, I was already working part time on a fire department and I was going to college full time for four years, getting my bachelor's degree. And I didn't have time to go to paramedic school. So I could do an AEMT because I could do it kind of nights and weekends, but I couldn't go full time, you know, to a paramedic program that's going to take a year and a half, two years to complete. Yeah. And and I'm jealous of you guys for the sake of you kind of had that that build up to it in that sense. But what I'm not jealous about one thing for me, the one nice thing going right from high paramedic school for me was college. You know, I did my degree and everything. And the one thing that I did appreciate about that was that basically was my full-time thing. I was like a student. I I was working some part-time stuff, but, um, there were several, most, the majority of the people in my class were on the job as EMTs. A lot of them worked in in Yonkers, New York City. They were, you know, they worked hard schedules, busy systems, and you could see how that. Yeah, and they were adults, so they had that other kind of life stuff happening, and it definitely affected. You know, there was people who had to drop out, not because they weren't capable, but just because of time and and priorities. So that was the only other thing I really had going for me. There was the time, but I, I do see that you guys and some of the guys who are, are going through now. And I'm like, yeah, that would have been pretty nice to have some of that kind of background before I just jumped in head first, but I, it worked out, you know? Yeah. Either way, I think it's definitely up to the person. You got to kind of have an idea of in your head, what type of learner you are. Um, and there's some people that pick it up quick. You know, I took my 
EMT and AEMT back to back. I took them six months apart because it was technically eligible and I felt like I did pretty well and I didn't have any issues with it. And I know from the instructors I had there, there were some instructors that said that that never works and that I shouldn't have done that. And they were concerned about me and I wasn't going to be smart enough to pass it or, you know, I wouldn't have the field knowledge is what they always said. Um, and I think it, I think it went fine. You know, I, I think I was a full-time student taking my credits through the University of Vermont. So I had the time to dedicate to it. I was running a lot of calls on my off time, um, working with great preceptors, which I think makes a huge difference. But there's other people, you know, if you're running a hundred calls a year, it may be difficult to go from a zero to a hero program. If well, you're not yeah, seeing, we had the same thing you could do in the college that I went to, you could go from nothing, e- EMT met it like all in one two year kind of program. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I might misspeak here, but it's like, if you go to become a nurse, you don't, you might go right into college and become a nurse. I mean, you you don't have any kind of you don't have to work as a, oh, yeah. Yeah, as a CNA yep. or something, you yep. know, it's, and I feel like the, I feel like that's not as much of the mentality. Whereas on our job, it is, it's like, Oh, well you have to have this experience and this background and which is great and helpful if you can, but it's not, you know, look at, look at the, the resident, you know, people that are becoming doctors the when they're new, I mean, they, they make like what we think are silly mistakes, but it's really because they are just at that part of their getting that field experience that they're they're learning that stuff and that's you know just the way the way it is you got to learn it somehow yeah i think one of the biggest disparities i see with people who don't have experience whether it's emt aemt paramedic or anything in between even an ambulance driver role if they just haven't gotten the reps out in the street it's difficult to make that assessment of sick versus not sick. And I definitely see that with some of our, even residents, you know, like you were talking about, they'll walk in and the person will be almost apneic and, you know, and they'll start their assessment of, you know, head to toe, do this, do that. And, you know, the more seasoned doctors or the people who come from an EMS background, they're like, all right, I'm going to bag the patient on auction and then let's start figuring out what's going on because they can, they can kind of walk and chew gum. And it seems like in our experience, we all have helped instruct classes. That's one of the things we struggle with brand, brand new people, regardless of their level, is that initial, can you make a treatment decision based on the evidence you have at that moment and then start to work around and fill in the blanks? Right. Yeah. So, Mike, um, you transitioned from EMT to AEMT. What was the factor that pushed you over the edge into going to paramedic school? I think the for me, the biggest thing was just kind of the idea of always trying to strive for more, right? We, we, for so much in this career, right? People get to a point in their career and they just say, yeah, I'm good. I'm satisfied with what I've got. And I feel like at that point in your career, if you're satisfied with where you are, are you really in the right career or are you still working towards anything? I think there's always, we always have to have that goal to get to somewhere next. You know, my, it was, an earlier time in my time or my career that I really was thinking about the paramedicine program. Um, it had to wait, it got put on hold for a couple of years, but I think with the time it only allowed for more growth, more, more opportunities for me to, to grow as a provider as well. Yeah. I know for me a big, and I can't speak of Frank, but for me, a big piece of it was I never wanted to be in the back of the ambulance and have a fixable problem that I wasn't able to fix you know, and there was a lot of patients I dealt with when I was an A and I'd be, you know, I'd be running them in. I've, I've talked about some of them before, you know, where somebody's airway is closing or, you know, maybe their blood pressure is substantially low and it's not being resolved by fluid, you know, or they're in a cardiac arrhythmia. 
cardiac and respiratory are huge for us as paramedics. And when I was in A, there was a lot of times I saw someone in a really dangerous state, whether it was respiratory or cardiac. And it's a, it's a very quick fix when it comes to paramedicine, you know, whether it's cardioversion or it could be like a mag sulfate drip, it could be something like that for respiratory. But being an A, I couldn't do that. And I was in a position back, you probably remember, you know, uh, five or six years ago in this district, there were not paramedics on all the time. And I remember one time we had a, a little baby seizing in status and I called up the comm center because that's what you used to have to do for paramedic intercepts. And I said, you know, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. I got this going on. Like, can you send me a paramedic? And the comm center person just said, uh, nobody's on. See you soon. Drive fast. And just hung up. And that was it. That was all that we had to deal with because if there's no one on, there's no one on. You know, and it was frustrating for me because a seizure can be resolved with meds like we know about. We can give those meds and stop that seizure and we can control that activity. And in that setting, I couldn't do that because I was not a paramedic, even though there were drugs on the truck. I just wasn't qualified or able to use those. Yeah, and I was going to say that's like the weird that's kind of the weird dynamic for us is like you're on, you're working in the truck that has like all this other equipment. But there's like certain stuff that's off limits or or knowing that you have like a protocol that requires you to call for a medic. Yeah. And it's like it's like. I'm, I'm, I want to be able to, you know, get the full access here, you know? And that was a, that was the thing though, is, is that the only thing keeping me from helping that patient at that point in my career was my training. Right. It wasn't that the equipment wasn't available. It wasn't that I, you know, that I didn't know what needed to be done. It wasn't that, you know, I, you know, the, the stuff was broken or missing, or I didn't recognize it. I knew what needed to happen and I knew what, you know, I should be doing, but I couldn't because of my training and the restrictions. And I, I had a couple experiences like that. And then it kind of got under my radar about, you know, I want to go be a paramedic. I think that just comes down to the whole sheer fact that you're continually trying to learn on the ambulance rather than just fulfilling that spot, you know, at you, you are recognizing problems that could be fixed at a higher level, even though you weren't there, but that was only meaning that you were trying to learn what was going on rather than just saying, well, I can't do anything. Let's just move on and not worry about that until a later date, you know, and you got to yourself, you got yourself to that point to try to grasp as much knowledge as you could of, you know, of what we're going to deal with out in the field. Yeah, I think one of the cool situations I have now is I have an AEMT that I work with every single day. And I'm sure you feel pretty similar um, where he's so on top of it that he can recognize when there's something that I'm going to intervene on to the point where, you know, we had a little girl with a, who did a beta blocker overdose and her blood pressure was like 50 over 30. And, you know, I climb in the back of the truck and he's like, hey, blood pressure is 50 over 30. I got IV access going for you. The red bag sitting right next to her. And like he knows where I'm going and he can prep these things up for me, um, which is awesome. Even stuff as simple as, you know, when we go to do an innovation, you know, he knows how to thread the tube on the bougie. He knows if I'm going to go up or down, where I'm going to go on my algorithm. And it's such a special relationship to be able to have that with your partner. That's what happens when you work with a black cloud like yourself. Uh, you know, I mean, we do get a lot the of the world falls apart <laughs> when you guys are out on the road. Yeah, no, it's it's a great experience. And and I was lucky enough in my early career to work with people that were like that with me that were above me and had more knowledge and training and 
make good decisions. You know, Tim, our lead instructor for the program we're taking this weekend. I mean, he was a huge mentor to me when I was younger. You know, I, I met him through the EMS community and he was one of the guys that helped, uh, you know, recruit me over to Burlington, you know, between him and Steve Pettit, who are both business owners here. And uh, it went a long way, you know, a young guy looking up to people like that. Tim has, you know, 20 plus years as a medic from all over the country in like three or four different states. And uh, somebody like that teaching me about medicine and advocating with his experience was huge for me. And I hope that that's something that we can kind of give back in the future. Yeah, good mentors. Even after I, even when I was a new medic, because like I said, I still was, you know, learning stuff. You're, you're always learning, but I was I was behind the curve, like like I said, compared to you guys who had some more of that advanced uh, background already. I had um, an EMT partner on the first, when I first got onto a 911 truck who, uh, he his wife was a paramedic. He'd been doing it for years and like he would, you know, kind of be almost like my, like, all right, you, you might want to do this or think about that, you know, and he, even though he wasn't a medic, you know, and still great guy to, great mentor, great guy to kind of work with to help me get my feet underneath me, you know, starting out. So that's, that's a huge impact. And, you know, I feel like everybody kind of finds that person most of the time and it's unfortunate if they can't, but it is, it's, it's essential. You know, that just reminded me of something. We had uh, Lieutenant Sean Plouffe on one of our past podcasts, and I, I always try to instill this in everyone that I work with, is don't ever underestimate anybody's medical prowess. He is such a sleeper cell. You never know that he's got <laughs> medical knowledge because he always hangs back and he says it in a goofy way. But there has been more than one occasion. I remember one specifically where I'm treating this lady for something, and I can't remember what we were doing for treatments. But he leans in and he's like, uh, do you think it could be one of those clotty things in his in her chest? And I was like, what? He's like, you know, like a pulmonary embolism. And I was like, uh, and I thought about it for a second. I was like, yep, yep, yep. Checks all the boxes. And then that's what it was, you know, and yeah. he just he's seen it before. He knows the risk factors. And just because he doesn't flaunt his EMS in your face all the time doesn't mean he's not thinking about those things. And it was so cool to see him and you know how he can tell you stuff, you know, it kind of like says it in a goofy word oh, yeah. and you think about it and you're like, you know, I, he's right. Like that makes a lot of sense, you know? And I think that was huge for me. Don't ever discount people just because, you know, they're not flashy about EMS. There's a lot of people who kind of fly under the radar and have a lot to offer and you should never be that guy that just discredits people. Yeah, um, no, under the radar is a great place to fly. Yeah, that's the best place. All right, Frank, you have any tips for people who are coming up through the ranks here and want to become a good EMS provider, whether it's an EMR or a paramedic? What's your best tip that you've learned over the last few years? Uh, uh, okay, I guess my, well, first off, just like you said, you know, don't stop learning and don't, don't, don't shut yourself or somebody else out from being someone you could learn from, regardless of if they, you are higher uh, certification than they are or whatever. But I guess my big thing that's really worked out for me, cause, um, you know, I, I maybe wasn't a desirable person not having experience when I started out. And one of the big things is just be the person that, you know, anybody can work with and you can work with anybody that led me to my, mo to the most success for me early on, um, was the fact, the simple fact that they could throw me to any station. When I, the first ambulance service that I worked for, we were in, over every all of the five counties surrounding New York City, we had stations, and there was usually people who only worked at one or two. I would the HR uh, manager when I left for my job in Colorado. She told me she said the biggest thing that we're going to miss about you. She said you were the only person that we could send to any station to work on any crew. You, everybody liked you. You got along with everybody, and that 
paid me, paid back for me because it everybody helped me out. I got experience and I was able to actually move up and get the clearance to work on some of the higher caliber units uh, in that system simply because of the fact that I could, you know, get along with everybody and and be and work and be a successful team. And that really is huge. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about that with our crew resource management stuff is if you start letting the interpersonal pieces get in the way, you, you actually lose pieces of information. You know, you break that communication. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. It naturally happens. Yeah. You know, the per just the, that person might be a little bit now less apt to, to go that extra mile to help you out. Or if they, if you're, you know, not nice to them or whatever, they're like, they don't care if, if, if they watch you fail, yeah, you know, exactly. And you don't want that. Mike, what are your tips for people coming through EMS that want to progress? Well, <clears throat> I guess, uh, the big thing is, like I said, just because you're an EMR or just because you're an EMT, don't think that you can't learn what the, you know, the levels above you are doing. The only way you're going to learn, the only way you're going to progress in this career is to always try to, you know, get as much knowledge as you can. So as an EMT, try to learn what the AEMT is doing, what the paramedics doing. But also don't forget those skills that you're supposed to be doing as an EMT or as an EMR, because it all comes back down to the basics. We can all have the highest level of knowledge, highest level of provider ability. But as long as we, or if we forget to do those basics, we've lost all the, we've lost our, you know, what we should be doing here in this job. That makes a lot of sense. I think my tips for people would definitely be if you're transporting to a hospital system, especially the type of system that we work in where you have, you know, level one trauma center and the docs and residents and nursing staff, don't ever drop off a patient and not have a good strong idea about what's wrong with them. Like if it was just a sick patient and you don't exactly know what went wrong or why they were sick, or you think maybe it could be a heart attack, could be sepsis, could be one thing, could be the other thing. Next time you're up there or next time you see somebody, follow up and find out the answer because I think of your brain as a large filing cabinet. And every time you see a patient, you're putting that patient into a folder that you can draw from in your experience for the next time you go out on a run. And if those folders aren't completely filled out and you don't know what was wrong with them, all you have are these incomplete pictures of the same type of presentation. Whereas if you start to identify these patients look this way and then they, they are determined to be septic, then you can start connecting those concepts in your head. And not only can you pull from the actual objective data, but you can pull from your subjective memory of, I saw a guy like this once, he was tachycardic, he was tachypnic, you know, he had an elevated temperature, he had a source of infection, um, and it was sepsis, you know, especially that blood pressure unresponsive to fluid. Think about those things and try to connect what you're seeing with the information. And the people that are at the hospital are an incredible resource. You know, I've told the story before of working up in the ICU and one of those head docs was like explaining EKGs to me. And he was just sitting there next to me. I could have easily just drank my coffee and not had a conversation. But those resources are available. And especially at a level one, remember what differentiates a level one from a level two is the teaching aspect. And so those people that work there, they went there to teach and share information. And there's nothing more rewarding for those people than working with students. They really enjoy that, especially students that know their stuff and are inquisitive. I think that's a huge component of building your memory because we've all heard you can have 20 years of experience or you can have 20 individual years that you relive 20 times, right? right. We want to build on those things and connecting those concepts as a way to get through them. 
I think that's definitely um, a really good tip. So thanks, guys. I appreciate you being here today. Um, if you have any other questions, both Mike and Frank are available to answer questions to you. Just look right on our website, go under the Contact Us page and uh, check out our staff. You can read a little bit more about where they're from, um, what they do for the business, and you can get all their contact information. Feel free to check out netsvt.com for more resources on how to learn more.